try this again. Welcome to 22. Yeah, good. Oh, thanks. Gosh, I love it. Good. <laughs> um, welcome to 2019. We have officially arrived. Um, we are in this new year together. Um, Jeff stole my joke at the meeting, so I'll just share it. And if you heard it already, you can laugh. And if you didn't, then this is really, this is a good, I worked really hard on this. But, you know, this is the last year that any of us will be alive in a teen year. None of us will be living the next time there's a teen year. So it's kind of depressing. But what I want to say to you is that we need to make this a big year, right? Because it will be our last of the, night of the teens. So 2019 um, is for you to, to kind of take that and, um, you know, to run with it and make it your own. So I was, I was asking my kids because um, we've, we've had a very, you know, up close and personal Christmas break. When you have four kids out of school, it's so wonderful for like three days, and then you're like, when is it going to be January 7th? Um, but I was talking to Cannon, and, I, and he was like, Mom, what, do you, what is, what's going on? I'm like, well, I'm working for, I'm trying to write for Sunday, and I'm trying to get ready, and, and you know, it's a new year, and I said, so, you know, how about, did you set any resolutions, Cannon? Like, what's going on for your new year? And you can always count on Cannon, like, he's really an awesome child, if you don't know him, just go back and meet him one day. His name's Cannon. He's my 13-year-old son. And so he goes, yeah, mom, I have a New Year's resolution. I'm like, all right, lay it on me. Maybe this will help. And he's like, PMA. And I'm like, PMA. And he goes, yeah, you know, like positive mental attitude. And I was like, oh, that's a real, did you make that up? And he's like, no. And he, I'm, <laughs> so I said, so, so that's how we talk, like PMA? And he's like, mom, that is not how we talk. <laughs> so I'm not allowed to say that. I can say positive mental attitude, but he, of course, is going to say PMA. I don't know. Is that a thing like teenagers? Are there any teenagers in here? Do people say that? Is that like an LOL thing that I should know, PMA? Oh, my goodness. It's what? It's a band. Gosh, I really need to catch up. Anyway, so... There's a researcher and the creator of the Happiness Project. Her name is Gretchen Rubin. She has a really phenomenal podcast, and, and the book, The Happiness Project, was released about 10 years ago. If you've never read it, it's, a, it's a worthwhile to pick up. Um, but she, she actually says some things about resolution. She says, for the resolution makers that we have in the room today, 80% of those resolutions will probably, uh, there's a strong chance that they are going to be abandoned by mid-February. So, for those of you resolution makers that are in the room and you're going strong, like, good job. If you have not quite succeeded at that, it's okay. I still am for you. Um, I, I list, looked at another list of statistics for resolution makers. So, the resolution making is down a bit right now. Only 40% of people are actually making New Year's resolutions, come to, come to find out. And 30% of those resolutions will tend to fail after about two weeks. 40% of those in, in about a month. Um, and then it says that 68% of all people who make resolutions will fully fail within six months of making them. So, you know, there's probably good reason why things don't always work out the way we envision them to work out. We might go into a new year and imagine that it's just going to be full of all new and amazing, wonderful things. But then what happens? Life, right? And it's hard, and it's twisty and turny and it's endless with stuff and what you know Tim was talking about life is sometimes not what we anticipate and we can't really like play our cards the way we exactly want them to be 
I was reading a quote recently, and I thought you guys would appreciate this. It said, life would be so easy if it weren't for people. You know, I mean, right? Like, it's, it's so true. Like, you know, if you didn't have, if we didn't have one another to drive each other crazy, I mean, what problems would we have, you know? I mean, but, but I mean, how boring would that be if you could only hang out with yourself? Like, I kind of like to hang out with myself because I don't really get a lot of one-on-one time with Jody, and I like myself. But some of you, I mean, you might get a little bored if all you had was you. So, you know, I do think that there are many reasons why we come to things that we want to change and that they don't always pan out the way we imagine that they will. Anybody care to admit that they wanted to quit in 2018? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. I've heard that from a lot of people that 2018 was a really tough year. It was a hard year for a lot of people. I think that probably, quite honestly, I probably wanted to quit a dozen or more times in 2018. Like, where you feel that overwhelming emotion and you're just feeling like, there is, I, I can't do what's in front of me one more time. I just can't. When Jeff and I got the news that our brake work on our van was going to be $600, and then they said, oh, and you also need two new front tires. Do you have 1000 And I'm like, and then when things got hard with money and it became tight, or when there was this time, I remember last winter, when three of my four kids were throwing up, and I literally thought there was not one second of, of energy that I could have to make it through one more moment. When marriage was hard, in 2018, when parenting was even harder (laughs) in 2018, when I wasn't prepared to have two teenagers in 2018, and when I wasn't prepared to have four kids in four schools. I mean, sometimes, like, I'll get a phone message from a school, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie, like, I have to be like, you need to identify yourself. I don't know who you're talking about, like, which kid needs to be picked up, like, who's in, in dire straits right now? Like, you need to tell me, are you Bride Adventures, West Elementary, Swain Middle School or Swain High School? Like, I need to know. You know, that's hard. That's not, that's not for the faint of heart. My anxiety got pretty bad in 2018. And I had a couple moments where I, I guess I would say I had just a complete and total breakdown. And that was hard. And so there were a lot of times when I was ready, I mean really, really ready, to throw the towel in and just walk away and say, I can't do one more day. But interestingly enough, what God did to me and what I imagine that he did for you is that every time I came to that moment, he would kind of let me have my little fit, (laughs) my adult temper tantrum of sorts. And you know what he would do? He would take the towel and he would hand it right back to me and he would just say, no, (laughs) we're not done here yet. You're going to pick it back up and you're going to keep going. Because this whole thing that you have in front of you is the, is the life that I've given you, and we're going to keep going. And, you know, we want to quit things for another, a number of reasons. Like we said, life is unpredictable. People are hard to get along with. We might have new habits or dreams or ideas or things that we want to accomplish in this new year. But so often, we are wired to loop right back to the moments that are tough. We go right back into feeling that overwhelming sense of, I just cannot do this. There's this interesting book that has a really long title. It's called Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. But one of the things that 
Dr. Sue Johnson, the author of the book, she writes about is that we are all essentially on these loops in relationships and with ourselves. And what happens when we don't even notice or we're not even paying attention, we can easily fall back into the loop that got us started in the turmoil in the first place. So you start to rise above, you start to feel empowered and confident and strong and, and you're doing really well and then something happens and you just, you know, subconsciously you fall back into the loop. And you don't really always catch yourself until you, you, you realize, okay, my mental, my mental thinking isn't on, I'm off in the way I'm feeling, I'm not really understanding what's going on, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety and stress, and you're probably on one of those loops. So I'm not saying that making resolutions is a lost cause, so if you are hearing that, that is not what I'm saying. I am a big fan of lists and goals and working hard. I mean, for those of you who know me, like, I live by that. Like, I am kind of a cross-it-off kind of girl. I love to get things done. But I think that where many of us get lost is what's underneath all of those goals. Because we could make list after list after list, but what does not change when you make list after list after list is the internal struggle of remembering who you are, why you're here, and what you were made for. Often I think we focus on external change, the lists, before we pay attention to what the internal is screaming out to us. Thomas Merton, he writes, you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. So sometimes we like to rearrange the external, the things that make us look like we have our stuff together, and we forget to pay attention to the far deeper issue of what's going on inside of us. So as we welcome into this new year, a new space, maybe the harder work is the internal work, the more critical resolve that we can take, instead of busying ourselves to rearrange the external, is to busy ourselves into what's going on and facing the truth of what's happening with inside us. Author Brennan Manning, in, he's the author of Abba's Child, The Ragmuffin Gospel, and he says very simply and very honestly, to begin the quest to understand who you are, you must start with this. To say to yourself, I am one radically loved by God, and this is who I am. So Jesus, uh, we, we heard a little bit about this from Tim, uh, he had this amazing, this amazing story, this amazing journey as he was kind of like moved into his ministry. And we hear about it in Luke, we hear about him beginning his kind of seeking and searching out to try to figure out who he was and what his place was. I, he was very different at 12 years old. I mean, at 12 years old, I was, like, playing soccer and, like, eating Rocky Road ice cream. And, and he was, like, learning to discover who his father was and who he was. And that was becoming his identity. We get this glimpse of, of this journey that he's going on with his parents in Luke chapter 2. And he's going on this pilgrimage, which was a yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem to go and to celebrate the, the celebration of Passover. And so groups of people would have journeyed um, south from Nazareth. And this was not, you know, just a, a few miles. They're walking a considerable distance to go and to have this annual celebration. 
Passover being both about the past and the present, and truly celebrating the liberation of God's people from slavery in Egypt. So it was this annual celebration of liberation, right? And he was being able to be a part of that. And we get a glimpse of this story in Luke chapter 2. So one thing that's really interesting about this is that you would have kind of had families traveling, walking together, large groups of people. And so if you had kids, you would have assumed that your children would have been a part of that group. So it, it would not have been unusual for Mary and Joseph to just assume that when they were making their journey back home, that Jesus would have been among those crowds of people walking with them. And so you're, if you're familiar with the story, you know that what they discover is that he, in fact, is not to be found. They don't know where he is. And so they're frantically looking for him. They spend three days trying to figure out where he is. They travel back to Jerusalem to figure out if he's still there. Did he get left behind? And they find him in the temple. A, a boy, a 12-year-old boy, sitting among the religious scholars and the leaders. He's comfortably asking questions, answering questions, and he appears to be right at home. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 47 Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he replies, Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. They went down to Nazareth with him, and he and what he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So Jesus is found. He's twelve. They lost him. He's in this place where he's asking questions and he's comfortably interacting with these religious scholars. And we don't really know much more about the next 18 years of Jesus' life. Really, Luke has this kind of summation of what happens, and that's really what we know. Jesus matured in wisdom and in years and in favor with God and people. And, and we hear this about him, and then we don't pick up about that story for 18 more years. What is interesting that's happening, though, that we do know around this time, and Tim mentioned this as well, is that his cousin is starting to get some attention. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and while Jesus is growing and maturing in Nazareth, John is beginning to say things boldly and differently and in a way that people did not expect or anticipate. And he begins sharing this message and, and really spreading a message that was creating kind of some rumbling among people. He was beginning to form baptisms, not baptisms in the temple, not uh, in the place where it was accepted to baptize others, where they had in the temple these designated pools of, of clean water and ways to, to, to help clean the unclean in these specialized areas. But where was he? He was on the banks of the Jordan River, not in the temple, and he was doing something differently that had not been done before. He was not in Jerusalem. He was not in the temple. His father, Zechariah, had so beautifully served and had been a priest and had really had that lifestyle kind of laid out for John that he could have walked right into that job and right into that family lineage. But he decides to go in a different way. He's not dressed in a priestly robe. He's 
not doing things very conventionally. He's on, you know, the hillside, the countryside, on the banks of the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people to find a new way to know and understand who God is. In page uh, 88 of the book that we've been reading together, We Make the Road by Walking, it says, Traveling to a special city and an opulent building could not make people clean and holy. What they needed most was not a change in location, but a change in orientation, a change in heart. People need a different kind of cleanness, one that couldn't come through a conventional ceremonial bath in a holy temple. He has this memorable message of repent, right? We've, we've heard that maybe mentioned in church before, or you've maybe read that yourself. And what he's trying to say is, I want you guys to consider God in a way that you've never thought of him before. To basically take all your understanding of rules and ritual and the temple and the way things have been, and to recognize that God isn't here, but he's out there. He's with us, among us, on the countryside, on the banks of the Jordan River. And people came to hear this message. They wanted to see what he was up to. It was a, a radical, unconventional baptism and a new message that they hadn't heard before. So after this period of time where we don't have many updates, we don't have really any updates about what's going on with Jesus, where does Jesus show up and choose to be baptized? He comes to the, to the side of the Jordan River. He comes to find John. And this is what we see picking up in Mark's gospel. We get this picture of how significant this moment was. And, and just a side note, I, I think you would know that I would love this, and I think you guys would love this too. I mean, Jesus chose to be with the misfit crowd to go and to have the moment that was a pretty significant part of life and a part of, of ritual and, and living in, in church, in the temple, baptism. And he decides to kind of go out with the people that are not inside the space that is typically recognized traditional. Mark chapter 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven open, being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. As he came out of the water, people heard a sound, as if the sky was cracking open before them with a roll and a rumble of thunder, and they saw something descending from the sky, and they heard a voice claiming to say that God was saying to him, you are my beloved son. This is who you are. So before we see the miracles that Jesus performs, the crowds that he drew, the, the people that he changed their whole life and their way of living, before we see or read any of those details, we have this moment that is this beautiful encounter between a father and a son where God says it's so important for you to know who you are before you go do the things that I want you to do. We're going to start here because it's important for you to hear my voice and for you to recognize in this moment, in this space, that you're my beloved. I care so much about you that I want you to be named by me before you go and do anything grand in my name. He's comfortable at, and at home in the temple when he's 12. And then he's probably around the age of 30 in this moment where we see that God is naming him 
the beloved. It is his identity. It's who he is. So this very moment that is available to Jesus, the beloved son of God, is also the very moment that is available to each one of us. It's available to you and to me to hear God say to us this morning that I have chosen you. You are not a mistake. You are known by me. You are loved by me. And I adore you, my beloved. Just as the Passover was this annual celebration of liberation, each year we have the opportunity to turn the page, right? And, and what if we gave ourselves permission? What if we had the opportunity to start new and to rehear God's name that he has for each one of us? Maybe among the list of all the resolutions, the greater need would be for us to go back and to rehear and to be reminded of who God says we are to him. Because I'm convinced that the longer we live on this earth, the harder it becomes to know our name of God, to, to know the name that he gives us because it's so chaotic and convoluted and distracting and stressful and there's so much that is coming at us all the time, sending us a message that is not this. What if we chose to re-see ourselves as chosen and beloved and loved and known by God? In the, in the book, The Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen, he writes, Long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God, who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, our uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those we meet in clock time, our brief chronological existence, but by the one who has chosen us with everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and that will last through all eternity. This is not new news for many of us who've heard this very message before. But I think that it's so important to revisit it because if you're anything like me, like Monday morning, life hits, and it's really hard to remember. It's really hard to keep that same message and that same name in the front of who we are and what we do. I want to just give you guys real quickly three things as a way to kind of help you think of remembering what this name means and how you can hang on to it in this next year. I was, over Christmas break, I was watching this documentary about this young boy, and he, because he was so different, and he was labeled, and he was bullied, and, and, you know, some of you might know similar stories to this, and we hear these stories all the time now of what our kids, our teenagers are going through, but um, he was shot by one of his classmates. And, and, and this is not like, a, I mean, this is not an unusual story. I mean, we, we've heard this said. But it, it just so, like, got inside me that I thought, man, what if he had known how, or, or I hope he knew before his life was taken how valuable he was, how radically loved he was. I mean, did anybody ever have a chance to tell him that? Because the world is always going to try to tell us something different, Right? And so the first thing I want to say, it just, it, with that story in mind, is that when the world seems to tell you a lie, that you are nothing special, that you are no good, 
a waste of time and energy, that you're unlovable, not worthy, or any other bogus message that it's going to try to bring your way, I want you to try to slip this in in your mind. The world is manipulative. It's power-hungry, controlly, fearful, all the things. It's destructive at best. And we should expect it to tell us lies about who we are. But if the bottom line is, if that's where we get the message of our identity, we're getting our message from the wrong place, right? We're listening to the wrong voices. So the first thing I want to say to you is that every time this year you feel hurt or offended or rejected or bullied or more, I want to dare something so bold. I want to dare you to say this to yourself. I may not hear this right now. I may not be able to sort through these strong feelings that are not true. But the world is not telling me the truth about myself. The truth is, even though I can't feel it right now, I am a chosen child of God. I am so precious in his eyes. And I'm beloved from all eternity and held safe in his embrace. And that is what is true. That is what is true of you. And the world's going to kind of tell, is always going to try to tell you something different. And what I want to say to you is when the world calls you something different, say back to the world, that is not true. That is not who I am. The second thing I want to challenge you guys to do, stop hanging around people who are telling you otherwise. Look for the people who believe in you. This place, the Grove, is a place that you never have to compete for love. You walk in this door, you are loved. You sit in a chair, you are loved. You go through a crisis, you are loved. And sometimes it's hard because we isolate ourselves and we we pull away and we don't feel the community, but it is available to you. Reach out. Don't be alone. And don't carry the message of a lie when there are people here that are available to you that will love you through it. Find the people and the places that tell you the truth. And stop hanging around and wasting your time with people who lie and don't tell you what your value is. This is a place that you can step in the door and you are loved and accepted, period. And that will always be true. And your true identity is a beloved son and a beloved daughter of the king. That is true. The third thing I want to challenge you guys to do is to celebrate you. Do not forget that gratitude is really our greatest tool to be able to accept and understand that we are divinely chosen. When we start thanking God, thank you, God, for my beautiful family. Thank you, God, for this beautiful church, for my children. Thank you, God, that I am healthy and I'm standing here. Thank you, God, I have a voice to speak for you. Thank you, God, that you have given me food and clothing and people Thank you, God, that the work in Bryson City is not done, that we're still working. Thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to serve you wholeheartedly. Thank you, God, that we have a job that gives us an income to provide for our families. When we start thanking him and celebrating the things that he has given us, we see it a whole lot differently, don't we? Gratitude grows gratitude. Joy grows more joy. And so when you flip your story around and you begin to look at what you have and you say thank you, it is the most fruitful way to start deeply believing in who you are when you thank God that you are here with us today. Let's do that. 
You are not an accident, but you are a divine choice. I want you to write that down, say that to yourself, and don't forget it. You are not an accident, but a divine choice of God. And that's a big deal. In 2002, I wrote a note to myself in this book. I read this book for the first time in 1997, (laughs) my senior year of high school. Um, It doesn't speak to everyone, but this has been my favorite book over all these years. It has pink highlighter, orange highlighter, yellow highlighter, green highlighter. I mean, you can just tell from the different times that I've read it that I've decided to go with different colors. Even in the front page, it says my maiden name, um, Jody Baddock, and in case you ever needed to reach me, my phone number that I had my whole, like, you know, when we used to memorize phone numbers. <laughs> like, we all knew our friends' phone numbers. Nobody knows each other's phone numbers now. What's up? Um, and I'm going to ask the band to come up and join me on stage. But this happened to be in the orange highlighting phase. Um, <laughs> you can see that I, I highlighted quite a bit of this chapter, and it's called The Beloved. And I wrote a note to myself on February 19th, 2002, which is not far from where we are right now in this time of the year. This would have been my second year of being married. And I wrote to myself, this is the second time through this book, but how appropriate that I'm reading it at this time again. My search for true self feels as though it always has to start completely over. The thoughts of these last three chapters have fit me perfectly, and I'm I'm determined to find what I'm looking for. And then I wrote a little side note. I must have been like in the phase of little smiley faces, but I wrote, I hope you get this to myself. Love, Jody. At every moment of our existence, God offers us this good news. And sadly, many of us continue to cultivate such an artificial identity that the liberating truth of our belovedness fails to break through. We become grim and fearful and legalistic, and we hide and our pettiness, and we wallow in guilt. We huff and puff and try to impress God, scramble for brownie points, thrash about trying to fix ourselves, and live in a gospel that is in such a joyless fashion that it has little appeal to nominal Christians and unbelievers searching for truth. Turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is better than we ever dared hope. And that to believe in that good news is to live out of it and toward it. To be in love with that good news is all of the glad things in this world. Of all of those things, it is the gladdest of all. To define yourself as one radically loved by God. This is our true self. It is not just an illusion. It is our core identity. The band is going to share a couple songs. And for the first song that they sing, I want you just just to sit and to listen. And I'm sure that you you might recognize this song when they start singing it, but it has become, for me and for many, I think, just kind of somewhat of an anthem at the end of 2018 when it got hard. One of my favorite things about this song, there's a line in the song that says, the only thing that matters now is everything you say about me. The only thing that matters now about every person in this room is what God says about you. Everything he says about you, that carries the most weight. The second song that they're going to sing, there's a line in it that says, I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. 
And I want that to get inside you. So whether you sing along or you sit and you just let this be a moment where you think about the new steps that you're walking into before you can set any big goal or any resolution in this year, you have to know who you are. You have to know that that identity, that calling out from God to you, that naming the beloved is for you. And it's the only way you can start moving in the direction that he's asked you to, when you know who you are. So listen to this song with me. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. I am more than just the sum of every high and every low. Remind me once again to who I am because I need to know You say
chapter 4, verse 18, it tells us that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love drives out all fear. The voice translation of this verse says, love will never invoke fear. Perfect love expels fear, and Jesus was perfect love. I love to remind myself of this. I've said it to you before, so maybe you just need to hear it again like I do. It is of no coincidence that 365 times in Scripture, more than any other command, we read, Do not be afraid. It is as as if I needed to hear and you needed to hear. We all needed to be reminded that each and every day of this year, how fitting, you know, that we are just days into a brand new year that we can be reminded that where you stand today, don't be afraid. And where you stand tomorrow and the next day and the next day, do not be afraid. Because there is no fear in love. And we're no longer slaves of that fear. We are the beloved sons and daughters of an almighty king who cared so much about each one of us that he's taken the time to give us a name. And he wants us to recognize that that moment is ongoing. And the identity of who you are, it's not in what you do. It's not in all the things that you try to get done this year. It is in who you are. Recognizing that purpose and recognizing that identity is the thing that fills you up. It is what makes you you. And so, whether you set a new resolution today and tomorrow, whether you don't keep them, it does, that doesn't, that's not the point. I hope you walk away knowing that the belovedness of God is for you. That he sees that in you. And he believes that about you. And we want this to be a place that that identity is valued and cherished. And that you will hear no other message coming from this place. Because we love each one of you and we want you to see that in who you are. So, as you guys go and you head in different directions, can you remember this today? Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) I love you all, and I want you guys to have an amazing year. And we're in this together. There's going to be a lot of amazing things that happen. There's going to be a lot of hard things that happen. But I hope that this gives you a sense of where to start and how to get moving. We love you all so much, and we're praying for you this week and thinking of you. And we can't wait to see you next week. So have a great one. 2019. (laughs) 